Hey, what up, Long Beach? Welcome back to the only local podcast covering Long Beach's schools, their sports teams, and our community at large. As always, we are the 562.org, and we're still waiting for this Long Beach State UCLA men's basketball game to tip off. As always, I'm JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Garnabasio. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson, still holding. This is our weekly podcast as our part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post. And uh, we just want to say a quick thank you right at the top of the episode for everyone who contributed during our Giving Tuesday fundraiser. It was yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday, December 2nd. Uh, it's about 1.30 as we want to timestamp this bad boy. Um, but we, we do want to want to thank everyone in the community who, who chipped in and contributed. We are a nonprofit. So, um, you know, we do rely on community support to keep bringing you these podcasts, articles, videos, stories, everything that, that, that you love from the 562. So uh, if you are a subscriber, thank you so much. And if you'd like to subscribe, head to the website. There's a big subscribe button at the top. It'll take you to our Patreon and you can set up a monthly recurring subscription donation to the 562 so that we're ready to bring you all the great sports coverage that we hope is just around the corner. We have got a huge, huge, huge show today. We're going to have a special interview with Long Beach Poly High School track star Jade McDonald talking about her process choosing to commit to a university to attend when people are actually, you know, attending universities. We're also going to be talking about the CIF state schedule announcements, that Long Beach State basketball game that's still waiting to go, and practice. We talk about practice. It's actually a segment at the end of this episode, so stick around for it. But first, we have a very serious issue to talk about. We talked about it last week, and we're going to reset something. I mean, Mike's story on the gun violence in Compton and involving the Compton High School basketball team was, uh, was spread around all over the local community, and he did another one where he's got community members talking about what should be done. And Mike, cheers and kudos to you, because those are the stories we really need. Where do we go from here? Give us a quo of Adamus. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, I, you know, one thing I think all three of us try and do with our journalism is uh, we try to be hopeful journalists, right? So, you know, when we did the feature on the LBUSD facilities, you, you explain how things could get better. You don't just say, hey, this situation's bad. Um, you want to give some practical things or people are reading a story and they're, they're, they feel called to action. You want to give them an idea of what to do. Um, and so we're talking about three teenagers who were all connected to the same high school basketball team. Um, who were shot to death in a four-month period. I talked to Tony Thomas, who's obviously been the uh, basketball coach at Compton for a couple decades. His dad was the coach at Compton High School. Um, the, the gym there is named after him. Talked to Njamila Williams, who's been an English teacher at the school for 20 years. And talked to DeAnthony Langston, um, our old buddy from the Real Run, played basketball at Long Beach State. Um, and uh, all, all three of them have been involved in the community and were sort of personally impacted by these killings. So the first thing before I mention any of that, though, that I want to talk about is I said this on last week's podcast, but I want to just reiterate, this is not a Compton problem. This is a Long Beach problem. We had last weekend, there were four shootings on Friday night, and one of the cars that was shot had two children inside of it. So it is through a sheer fluke that those kids are not kids that we're writing about this week as having uh, had a, you know, a horrible tragedy befall them. So um, I think that's something I just want to state up top because I think sometimes we cover Long Beach and Compton more so Long Beach, obviously, than Compton. But I think sometimes people in Long Beach feel like, oh, well, like uh, we don't have those problems here. We do have those problems here. Um, and again, I mean, it's just a, a sheer fluke. The, the kids in Long Beach feel just as abandoned as the kids in Compton do right now. So um, I wanted to point that out. But yeah, I, I encourage people to go read the article. There's a lot in there and I don't want to try and run through it for a half hour here. But 
Um, a lot of really good ideas about both immediate solutions and Jamila bringing up that like the kids don't have a place to go. They need a place to go. And if that's not school, then the parks and recs facility, something needs to be done where the kids can have a safe place with safe adult supervision to go because a lot of them, just like the kids in Long Beach, don't have that in their own homes. So, you know, and school is really a refuge for them that is not being replaced with Zoom calls. Um, we've all seen some of the horrible stories about kids being assaulted in the middle of class um, across the country. And, you know, that's a reality that while the, the more extreme examples get the attention, um, school is a safe place for a lot of these kids, you know, and uh, Patrick O'Donnell, who we interviewed last week about um, you know, his strong desire to reopen the schools, he's our state assemblyman, and he's likely going to be running for mayor if that spot opens up in Long Beach. He said, you know, the, the LA Unified School District is the world's largest soup kitchen. I mean, like for a lot of kids, the public schools in Long Beach and Compton in LA are their safe place. It's their connection to a safer world, and it's where they, they eat, literally. So um, that was her idea. Tony Thomas talked about sort of the larger frustrating problem in Compton that, as he put it, you know, DeMar DeRozan cannot live in Compton. There's still three neighborhoods in Long Beach he could go and live in. But, you know, he said, if you're successful, you leave the city. And we need, you know, he said, like, this is obviously not a problem for a basketball coach. He said the city needs to do something to retain people to, to rebuild their community. Because as he said, when he was in, you know, he grew up in Compton at a time when you wouldn't have said it was easy growing up. Um, but there were still 15 or 20 teachers from the high school at every one of his basketball games because they lived nearby and Compton High School was their community school. And he said, you know, 245 now, the bell rings and everyone clears out of town. And he's one of those people. He lives in Long Beach. He's lived in Long Beach his whole adult life for the reasons that I just mentioned. You know, he felt like he wasn't safe staying in his hometown. So I think that, you know, that to me is a hard, that's a heart of a real bigger issue that a lot of inner cities and rural areas are facing that kids don't feel safe or economically or physically safe to stay in their own hometown, you know, either because there's no jobs or because um, there's gang violence or whatever else. But I mean, that is a problem that is coast to coast in America that is much bigger than something obviously that any of us know how to address. But um, D had some great ideas, I think, about how important summer programs are and free programs for kids. The city of Long Beach, I was happy to see, just announced that they'll be having, uh, during winter break, their usual day camps for Long Beach kids, um, who for $30 a week can have a place to go at a local park center. What's sort of funny, ironic about that to me is normally they have that for the winter break because the kids are usually in LBUSD schools. And so you have that during those two weeks so that kids where, oh, my parents still have to work, you have a place to drop your kid off. Well, you know, there isn't a place to drop their kid off now <laughs> either. Um, but I was glad to see that those programs are still going on. Um, and yeah, so I think that gives you a sense of the complexity and just to level set again, we're talking about three teenagers who were all connected to the same high school basketball team um, who were shot to death in a four month period. Um, and that's the problem that no decent human being can hear that and not think something has to change. Um, so those are some of the ideas. There's a lot more in the article about things people can do. And, uh, and I hope people check it out and, and think about it. It's not a problem any one of us can solve, but it is a problem that we all have to solve together. Well, and, and one thing that this pandemic has really shown us is that there, there are no perfect, you know, one size fits all solutions. So, you know, in, in certain 
you know, certain parts of the world, you know, the, the concept of staying at home and distance learning can make sense if you have the resources to fulfill that and make that, make that work. <laughs> People in that position that can functionally make it work are still having plenty of issues uh, of, you know, isolation and, you know, be, being stuck at home, not being able to socialize. But those problems compared to, hey, I don't have a safe place to exist during the day is a completely different issue. And so, you know, the, the, the people in the communities that are, that are really struggling the most and, and that don't have the resources and are, are, are really feeling unsafe don't have access to lobbyists or, you know, or, or can really leverage uh, exactly the right. decision makers and, and, you know, put their issues up towards the forefront. You know, we don't really hear about those issues. And that's, as members of the media, that those are the stories that we try to tell because they won't be told otherwise. And, you know, I mean, we have an opportunity to really reflect as a community and not just as a Long Beach community, but a greater Long Beach community that includes Compton, you know, and, and other areas that, that have really been, been hit hard. Um, and, you know, we just, I think we can all agree that we want everyone to feel safe in their own city and their own home. And uh, we have a lot of work to do to get there. And so it's, it's important to raise these questions and, and to let people know that there is a need and there are people that, that care and are smart and will work to end this, but they also need some help. They need the resources to make it happen. It can't just happen because we want it to. We have to find people that are willing to step up and make some sacrifices to, uh, to make some positive change. I totally agree. And along the same vein, and I know I also said this last week, the police departments need to be more transparent and the communities need to be able to trust the police departments. I know I'm not breaking news here. I know we all know that needs to be the case, that they need to reflect the community a little bit better and vice versa. But we need to apprehend those responsible. People need, people need to pay for this crime. And to, to be able to do that, to be able to do good police work, the community needs to be involved. And we all know that that's not the case here in Southern California, across the nation, and in some cases across the world. Uh, I, I don't have the answer. I don't, I don't know how to do that. But I do know for sure that, uh, that the people need to be held responsible. And if you've got people in the community calling for vigilante justice, which in this case there have been, that's a problem. That's not going to solve this issue. That's only going to make this issue worse. So I, I, again, I don't know have the answer or whatever, but uh, you know, as these things continue to come across the news desk, all I keep thinking is somebody needs to stop this. And that's literally why we have police departments. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is, it's, it's such a big, as you mentioned, even if that were to occur, that would be one piece of the problem. And what you just described is not something that feels likely to happen, right? Like it, it's the problem is you have so many kind of unsolvable problems of generational poverty, governmental uh i mean compton is the way that it is by design and i mean tony thomas knows that as well as anybody um when the watts riots happened and white flight began out of compton um uh tony's dad eddie was the assistant coach at compton high school but the white basketball coach left overnight with all of the other white kids in the school i mean they left town and pulled as many resources as they could out of Compton. And so the reason that, um, you know, this was a big fight for, for Tony between he and the school administration, because the, some alumni of that team wanted to name uh, the floor at Compton after this old coach. And Tony said, this guy abandoned this community. And my dad, uh, who's, his dad died of a heart attack at much too young of an age, his dad bore the brunt of trying to help repair that community. And it's kind of been that story for 40 or 50 years now. Um, and we've talked to a number of athletes who've come out of Compton about that. 
and about how hopeless and frustrating and challenging it is. But yeah, I mean, I think you see that difference, two cities with um, some similar issues in Long Beach and Compton, but, you know, kids from Long Beach, they want to, they want to get out and represent their city and be successful, but they, they're able to still come home. Um, DeMar DeRozan does not publicize when he is going to be in Compton. I mean, he, he goes very quietly to Compton High School to help kids out or do events or whatever else, but we've been asked not to publicize it um, for the purposes of his own safety, right? And so it's just a different dynamic in Compton where the goal number one is make it out. You might love your city. You might feel pride in it being your hometown. Um, but those kids tell us stories of trying to get out of that city that you, you, you don't hear even in the rougher parts of Long Beach, you don't hear quite the same tenor. So um, I don't know, definitely check the story out. And uh, if anyone has any ideas, you know, Tony Thomas and DeMar DeRozan are going to sort of start a joint mental health initiative to try and uh, reach and help more kids because every time one of these shootings happens, it traumatizes a whole new, it traumatizes that generation. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I told Tony, we're, obviously consider us signed up and, and happy to help with that any way we can. But, uh, you know, we're happy to help however we can. It's just such a difficult situation. And uh, we love those kids, man. I mean, we, you know, we, we do. We, we love covering high school sports and youth sports in Compton. And uh, it genuinely breaks my heart to think about some of the stuff that those kids have to go through. So. Absolutely. Well said, well written. Check out that story and check out a lot of the stories at the 562.org right now. Some of them are columns. Some of them are just open conversations and they're there for a reason. They're there for discourse. We say by Long Beach for Long Beach and we mean that for the entire sports community here in the local area. We are here so that you guys have a place to put your opinions down, talk to other people who might share those opinions, who might have different opinions, who might give you something you had never thought about before. That's why we post those stories. That's why there's comment sections below those stories. Join the conversation at the562.org. We need to keep talking to each other first and foremost. It is almost now a full week since Thanksgiving, and I still haven't finished all of my leftovers from Maple's Rib Co. Uh, please send help. There's still mac and cheese. There's still brisket. There's still mashed potatoes. Be careful, Pe so be careful Tyler. People are going to show up to your house. <laughs> right. Keep a distance. Form a line. Uh, but I've been so happy this past week to just fill up on delicious Naples Ribco. And the beautiful part, it's not just for the holidays, it's all year round. So head on down to Second Street, get a hog pack, get just an individual order. Uh, however you, whatever your fancy is, it can be tickled by Naples Ribco, the best barbecue in town. So head down to Naples Island on Second Street and let them know that the 562.org sent you and you will be happy that you're there. All right, we are joined by Long Beach Poly senior track and field star Jade McDonald and her family. Jade, hi. hi. You want to introduce your mom and dad? Okay, this is my dad, Billy McDonald, and then this is my mom, Polly McDonald. Mm -hmm. So we have you on the show today for a very special reason. It's our favorite story that we get to write, but uh, you and your family have the dream come true moment. You're ready to announce your college decision. Mom and dad are excited. They're not taking out loans. Everyone's pumped up. So Jade, the, take it away. Go ahead. Let everyone know where you're going. Okay. So um, me, I'm with all my family, as you can see, and my grandmother over here. Hi, grandma. And my uncle as well. And we've, well, collectively, and then my decision as well, we've made the decision that I will be attending the University of Iowa. Woo! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That's awesome. That's awesome. So break it down for us. Iowa, what did you love about it? What are you excited about? 
Okay. I've got to get the hat. Yes, got to get the hat. Bring in the bucket. <laughs> University of Iowa because honestly, that was the best. That was going to be the best fit for me. I've always been wanting to go out of state for college because I've been in California my whole life. So I just thought like, this is the perfect time to go out of state. And, you know, for the next four years, this is going to be my home. So I'm happy with my choice and I can't wait to start. So what was it like doing the recruiting? I mean, normally, you know, you and I talked about this a little earlier, but like normally an athlete of your stature, uh, national level recruit, you're going to do a tour of the country. You're going to do official visits everywhere. You want to take a vacation. You're going to get to really thoroughly check out every program. Um, how hard was it for you? And what was it like? What was the adjustment you had to make to doing that recruitment via Zoom? Um, it was definitely adjustment, but I feel like it wasn't too, too bad because I hadn't really known anything different. Like it all, like the pandemic and everything happened all at once, like when I was starting to really get recruited and stuff like that. So it wasn't like too much of adjustment, but the one thing that I was really bummed out about was like taking my official visits. Cause like what I was saying earlier, that's like one thing that all college or all high school athletes look forward to is all their official visits because that's what everybody raves about and everybody says it's so fun and stuff like that. So I was bummed that I missed out on that, but altogether the recruiting process, it was different, but it wasn't bad. So you've obviously never been to Iowa? No, I've never been to Iowa. What, what do you know about the state of Iowa? What's like the, the top of the list of your Iowa facts? Okay, so I know that it snows and that it's very cold. <laughs> so that was actually a plus because I know a lot of kids from California that either like love the snow or they hate it. Like they don't like being cold at all. But I really don't mind it at all. I actually love the snow. So that was a plus for sure. And then I do know that um, the University of Iowa, that it's really like a college that you could, you could really feel the college vibe there on the campus and stuff like that. And everybody was like all for the... Um, helps and stuff so yeah that's awesome um are you also a corn fan hold on you got you gotta like corn if you're going to iowa (laughs) take the pledge (laughs) okay that's true all right i want to hear from mom and dad just for a minute about you know what what this process was like for you guys what you think about uh about jade going to iowa and and how excited you guys are that you know she's got the scholarship um i was excited because we had actually done a lot of the the background work we had already been looking at different majors um she wants to major in kinesiology so we kind of broke it down like a little spreadsheet on what would be the best fit for her and she didn't mind going away, which is going to be hard for me, but um, we decided that, that this would probably be the best fit because they have her major. Um, they're ranked top 20 as far as women's uh, track and field, and that was huge for her. She wants to be on you know, a team that um, is, is, is winning. And you're, not, you're, you're not the first mom to tell us that it's hard for the baby <laughs> to go out of state. Yes. <laughs> But they do have a good jumps program, and that's a huge thing because not every school, it, it, you know, can can produce triple jumpers, and that's what specialty is triple jump. Billy, how about you? How are you feeling? I feel really good. You know, it was a long process for Jade, especially with the COVID and a lot of schools not knowing how much scholarships they have or what's going to be available because they have concerns about what seniors and juniors are going to return for additional year, especially with a couple of the different colleges are saying that the seniors are getting a year back. Well, actually, right. getting a year back. So I like to say thank you to the other colleges that would seriously showed interest in my daughter and made her offers like uh, Idaho State, Penn, Cal, 
I know them other schools, LSU, Texas Tech. Oh, we know she's she's been sought after. I started getting text messages from college coaches about Jade when she was in eighth grade, I believe. She had some, I'm trying to remember what, you had some crazy mark in the long jump in eighth grade and I got texted by like four people. I was like, I knew you knew what it was because it was like, it would have been a top five state mark, you know, while you were still at eighth grade for sure. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit. I mean, we're, we're in your house, which is where you're also now doing school. What's this school year been like for you, uh, as an athlete and as a student, you know, having to make that adjustment to, you know, being in the house instead of, uh, instead of at a, a large school with lots of people that, you know, <laughs> well, it's definitely been an adjustment, but in my opinion, I think I've adjusted pretty well. Like once you have to like, kind of make a schedule for yourself to not go crazy, because being inside 24-7 can really drive you crazy if you don't have a set schedule for yourself. So I'm like, I'll make it a point to like get up, walk around, do something in between my classes. Mm -hmm. And then I got lucky because since I'm a senior, I only have um, two classes each day because it's block schedule for poly. So I got really lucky in that aspect. So it's not like too bad where I'm sitting at the computer literally all day. So as soon as I'm done with school, usually I'll go eat lunch and then go to practice. So it's not like I'm inside 24-7. Has it been good to still be able to get together with other kids to have the practices? I know we've heard from a lot of athletes where it's like, we wish it was a regular season happening right now, but that it's nice, like you said, to not just be in your house, you know, for eight hours on Zoom or whatever. Yeah, it's for sure. It's really nice going to practice with other people because it's just at least some social interaction because everything right now is online like I text most of my friends FaceTime most of my friends but being able to see them in person for practice is nice well and when, when we talk to athletes I mean what we hear is that you know it's it they haven't gone this long without competing in their sport since they could really walk so I mean you know how long I mean when's the last time you've gone this long without being in a track meet and what do you really miss most about that because it's a whole experience you know you don't just show up and 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 perform it's like there's all the other stuff that goes with it with the travel and you know being at the tent you know what do you miss most about being able to compete and have track meets honestly the thing that i miss most is the competing aspect like competing is literally my favorite thing to do like it just makes me so happy and it really relieves all my stress and stuff like that so not having a season was pretty disappointing and then the fact that I haven't competed in basically like a year, almost a year, it feels really weird. So I feel like the most important thing during this time, though, is to remember your goals, remember what you have set for yourself. And like that will help you get you through whatever training that you have to do, because I feel like this is the time where we should be training the most instead right. of slacking off and stuff like that. What, 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 when, 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 I mean, when did you start competing? Like, how long has it been since you went a year without a track meet? I did like two all comers, and I want to say that was almost a year ago, probably like 11 months. Ago. So, you, but how old were you the last time you went a year without a meet? I oh, mean, oh, oh. Did you one year out? old, Mike. She was one year old. <laughs> Maybe. I, I didn't start track fully until I was in eighth grade. Okay, okay, okay. Before that, it was gymnastics. In gymnastics, that literally took up my whole life, and we never had any time off. Like, every year, we had to meet, like, a set time. So I'm not used to having this big gap of not competing. Yeah. 
Well, that's why, you know, you mentioned it. I think everyone's got to be able to adjust and you've adjusted to be able to figure out how to still be a good student and not go crazy. Took me a couple months to put myself on a schedule. I'll tell you that we're used to, we cover 10 games a week each or something. And then all of a sudden it's just, you know, <laughs> everything shuts down. Um, well, hold on. I want to go back to the gymnastics thing. Did, did you get watching an Olympics or something to get inspired to be a gymnast or did that just kind of come because you were like, you know, a rambunctious kid who was jumping off the couch? Um, honestly, I started gymnastics because when I was little, I wanted to be just like my brother. I literally copied everything he did. So he was in gymnastics and I was like, I was like three and a half years old, four years old. And I was like, I want to do gymnastics. Like that looks fun. So then my mom put me in gymnastics and then he ended up stopping, but I had wanted, I want to become an Olympian. So I was working towards that goal, but it I started getting too tall for the sport because in gymnastics, it's you, you're usually like five foot two and stuff. Right. Like that. And then some track <laughs> coaches started saying, you know, we actually don't mind if your legs get longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, so what you, you and I talked yesterday, maybe you don't want to be as bold on camera. I don't know, but you had high goals for yourself for this season. We're obviously all hoping you're going to be able to get a good senior season in. Uh, at Poly, and certainly with the later start and being outdoors, we, we feel pretty good about that happening. So what are you comfortable telling everyone what your goals are for the year for yourself? Yes, I am. So my goal is to win every event that I'm competing in this year. So that would be long jump, triple jump, and hurdles. It's a pretty hefty goal, but honestly, I think I can do it as long as I keep training hard. Sounds good to us. And I would tell you, you're, you're, you're following a path of, uh, you're not the first Long Beach kid to go to Iowa. We covered Marie Harris in, uh, in high school, uh, who is a 10 time all American at Iowa. I know they love Long Beach kids out there and uh, we're so happy for you and congratulations on making the decision. Thanks for, thanks for joining us to talk about it. It was awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Another great interview with another great Long Beach athlete. We got to get more of those family interviews in. I really like those because it adds a little something to the way the kid answers the question because they know their parents are literally looking over their shoulder. Right. <laughs> well, I also think, I also think it takes the pressure off the kids because we've been, you know, how many interviews have we done where the parent will be like, Hey, remember to mention this, you know, be sure to say. And so when mom can come in and say the school has her major, you know, it's like, that's the thing, you know, really right, want to right, emphasize right, academics right, so right, that right, they don't right. have to worry about, okay, what do I have to say to make my parents happy? Like they can just hop in and say like, okay, these are the other things that went into it so that you can see the family dynamic really play out. And it's always sure. so great because the, the athletes are like, I'm excited to go compete for championships and right. jump and set records and do all that. And then the mom's like, well, I'm thinking about your career, well, <laughs> like I mean, long-term as well. So I also think the older my kids get, you know, the more I understand it. And I mean, I, I, we've, we've talked about this a number of times on this, on the different iterations of this podcast over the years, but you know, my, my family's life was changed from a, a New Jersey Italian slum to a suburban Southern California existence because of one college scholarship that my grandfather got. And he got it for fighting in Germany in World War II, you know, not for competing as a, as a college athlete, but like, I'm very aware of how important those scholarships are. And now I, as a parent with a second grader and an almost kindergartner really understand because we all think of my son, Vincent, as a little kid, but also somewhere else in my head, I'm thinking I have 10 years until he's going to be enrolling in college. College is pretty expensive. <laughs> So I, I feel like I always want to talk to the parents now because I really have that appreciation, as you saw with Jade's mom, 
where it's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, hallelujah. Uh, we don't have to worry about this big expense uh, because our kid earned, earned a free degree. Yes, Mike, college famously expensive, especially, and you would know that if you've ever seen a rose emoji on your Twitter timeline. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Challenge accepted, question mark. You Long Beach families out there who might be listening to this or any other episode of What Up Long Beach, hit us up. We need guests. We're all at home. We know you're at home. Oh, let's just sit here and talk some Long Beach sports. Come it's hang what out. We, come hang out. It's what come we love out. to do. Now, we're going to end this show on kind of a uh, overarching issue over a couple different stories. That issue is just the availability of information, how information is moving in this world of COVID, and how that's going to affect us in the future. And we're going to start with what we said at the top of the show, that Long Beach men's basketball game that never happened. It was supposed to be the season opener at UCLA, the number 22 ranked Bruins. It was going to be a poly pavilion, obviously an empty poly pavilion. And Long Beach State men's basketball was literally on the bus outside of Walter Pyramid about two hours before that game was scheduled to tip off when UCLA decided to pull the plug on the game. Now, I am going to tell this in first person because it's the easiest way to tell it, right? I'm at my computer. I'm ready to go. It's two hours before the game. We've been waiting eight months to cover games, people. I was pumped. I was pumped. I was ready. I had all the stats laid out. I had the player breakdowns ready to go. I was tweeting out the preview, talking to people on Twitter. And then, boom, you get the news that UCLA has decided not to play. Now, I immediately get on the phone, right? I'm trying to call Long Beach State. I'm trying to call the sports information department. I'm trying to call athletic director Andy Fee and get the story. And nobody's answering. And they're saying, we're working on a press release. Now, the biggest difference between the two press releases from UCLA, who let theirs go at about 4 o'clock, 4.15, before the game was scheduled to go at about 6, 6.30. And then Long Beach State took a lot longer to put theirs out. And immediately I noticed that the UCLA release said, and I quote, tonight's men's basketball game, home opener, has been postponed out of an abundance of caution based on COVID-19 protocol within the Long Beach State program. About an hour and a half, two hours later, Long Beach State's press release had the same exact sentence, except for the fact that it said an abundance of caution based on COVID pro protocol, quote, between the teams. So it almost looks like the two teams are blaming each other for the game not happening. I take this to athletic director Andy Fee, and his response was, and I quote, we were ready to play the game. So UCLA's release kind of makes it sound like Long Beach State either had some sort of positive test, decided that they weren't comfortable playing the game, or whatever. Los Angeles Times, New York Times, just took that press release at face value and put out an AP report that said Long Beach State did something. UCLA decided they didn't want to play. Whereas, you know, I learned in Long Beach State journalism school, you call both parties and you get both sides of the story. And the more interesting story is the fact that the beach was on the bus ready to play basketball and UCLA was the one that said no. And so this is kind of what I was talking about with the overarching issue that we're talking about here at the end of the show. Why not be transparent? If it's a positive test on the UCLA campus, if it's a positive test on the Long Beach State campus, if it's the fact that UCLA didn't like the test that Long Beach State was using or vice versa, any of those issues, if you are transparent with that, we will not have hidden information. And if we have hidden information, especially in the world of COVID, we are going to be doomed to repeat 
the exact same mistakes. I don't want to have to be sitting here ready to cover a basketball game. Players don't want to have to be in uniform ready to play a game. Fans don't want to have to come to a website looking for coverage of a game, all to find out that a miscommunication caused that game to not happen. Nobody really knows what happened, honestly, because nobody is saying what happened. And I just think that's wrong. I have a couple of different thoughts. First of all, I want to, to second and echo your call for transparency, because one of the one of the important reasons for that is not just the frustration of games being canceled, but it's also it's, it's the same frustration I've had with some of the public health officials and elected representatives in this state, to be honest with you. Everyone like you have everyone has to be able to trust everyone else. And, you know, the high school kids are ready to play. Their parents are ready for them to play. The other athletes at Long Beach State are ready to play. The other athletes at UCLA are ready to play. So everyone's got to trust what's happening as they start that, right? Um, and I think that's a really important thing to mention. And, you know, I, I throw that Long Beach State was certainly more transparent than UCLA, but on both sides, UCLA, explain why you really made the decision. And it's kind of the same thing for me with like Andy Fee and Dan Munson. Like they didn't call you and say, we're not playing the game and we're not telling you why. So I totally understand Andy and Dan Munson saying, um, hey, we don't have a positive test. We think it's really important to put that out there so people don't think we were trying to go play a game with a positive test. But those guys could also have said, hey, they didn't like the test we're using or whatever. And instead you have these two sides sort of, as you said, kind of pointing at each other a little bit with UCLA saying, well, Long Beach State had something wrong in their protocol and Long Beach State saying, well, we were ready and, are, and cleared and UCLA didn't want to play. And now fans of both teams, but also other athletes at the schools and parents don't really know what happened, which means they're not really going to know if whatever happened is fixed. <laughs> and my, yeah, and great point, Mike. And Andy Fee even said, I bet you'll see more of this in the future because the conferences and the schools and the cities and the states all go by different protocols. That's a problem. It if is it's a it, problem, right. let's do something to fix it. Well, and I, that was something that came up during football season when they said they were going to not do non-conference in order to limit. And then everyone was saying, well, you realize that the Big Ten is in multiple different states, right? And it's like, yeah, but there's less the bureaucracy. There's less working through. Right. So you're not working across conferences. And so there, there is a little bit of that. But if that was the problem and you guys just didn't communicate well enough, just own that. I mean, the fans understand. Like we've seen, we get game. There's games right. canceled every day. Right it's now, been eight we months. Are used it's to been eight months since we had a game with a with a team from the city of Long Beach. Fans will understand. <laughs> yeah, like don't try to duck and dodge. And I, I think I, I agree with with both of both you guys on what you were saying. I mean, I do think that there could have been more transparency from both sides. But ultimately, if Long Beach State says they were still ready to play, and UCLA was the one that said you know, no, it's our arena. We're not comfortable with it. We're not playing the game. Then ultimately the onus would be more on them a to explain percent. the justification for their decision. Well, because, because they're the ones who took the action in canceling the game. Now, right. where, I, where, where, and I will say this because this has come up for us in our reporting, where I'm sympathetic to both schools and also to reporters is the difference between, is the very thin line between transparency and privacy. And I'll give you an example of that now that some time has passed from it we learned that there had been a positive test within the Jordan baseball team that was doing off-season conditioning. The Jordan uh, baseball team paused their off-season conditioning. Everyone quarantined. Everyone tested positive. Now they're back to being able to work out. Negative. Tested yeah, negative. Excuse me. Everyone yeah. tested negative. Everyone stayed positive and tested negative, uh, which is our new motto around here. But, you know, it raises a question. There's one coach working with that team, and there's a half dozen kids. 
So if I put a headline out that says Jordan baseball team has positive COVID tests, that would be the, the most transparent thing to do, right? To alert people that that had happened. But I would also be saying one of these six people has COVID-19, which is not my information to disclose, right? I mean, that's I, I, like, we are never in the habit, even during a public health crisis of divulging people's medical records or information. Um, and in fact, we have in the past when we've learned what injuries an athlete had on the sideline, I always check with a kid, are you comfortable with me saying your shoulder dislocated or whatever before I tweet something like that out? Um, because I do believe, particularly with minors um, or even student athletes in college, that you know that privacy is also important. So I, I don't think there's a real rule book on how to deal with some of that stuff. Right. <laughs> but it, but I, I will just throw that out there that it's like, we get that it's complicated, obviously. But, but it could have been I, so I simple. Air towards more transparency. But it could have been so simple. A positive test. End of story. You don't have to say which side. You don't have to say who. You've got two basketball programs that go way beyond the court. You're talking about staff members and medical teams and people who have come in contact with the teams. A positive test. Boom. Done completed nobody would have questioned that yeah. and that's the thing that's uh, that was so puzzling about the statement is because you never saw the word test in 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 the statement it was, it was protocol. only protocol and so what and that's that's the vaguest word i can, i can really think of is protocol the word like, protocol you know, is a black box you can you can have it mean whatever you want it to mean <laughs> right it's it's yeah it's an it's an amoeba of words and so you know it that, that's the part that I think is most frustrating because, you know, Long Beach State continued basketball activity. So I feel pretty good about the fact that they don't have a, they said a player that, that had tested And they positive. said that. So, and I put that in the story. Ready to right. practice the next day Long Beach State was. They Truly were ready to, ready fascinating. To play, ready to practice on the way right now to, to playing at Loyola Marymount University, also a team in L.A. County on Friday night, and then returning to Walter Pyramid for the quote-unquote home opener against Seattle on um, on Sunday. Little news. At least they're in a different conference. At least LMU's in a different conference. Fair, fair enough. Uh, a little news. This game could be rescheduled and very possibly could be played uh, the week of the 15th of December. I'm talking about Long Beach State UCLA. So even though that game got quote-unquote canceled or postponed or whatever you want to call it, we're using quote-unquote a lot in this segment right now. But, uh, but that could happen uh, before Christmas. So we could see this game still. I mean, anything is possible, right? Just like the CIF Southern section dealing with all of the stuff they've had to deal with over the last eight months, anything is possible. And my, Tyler, you talked to Rob Weigod this morning about the announcement from the CIF state office, which was like, hey, let's put this whole thing in a holding pattern. When we told you we weren't going to move the schedule, that was a long time ago and a lot of information ago. And now everything is kind of still up in the air. Right. I mean, it, you know, from from the CIF's perspective, I mean, when they put those plans out and they said we're going to stick to it, they were optimistic that things would get better. Well, look around. Things did get better, better briefly. <laughs> briefly. <laughs> but but the problem is, is that because there's been these changes, whereas things have gotten more restricted and the, and the you know, the tiers have gotten a worse color. Um, now it's why why put out a guidance because you need to see the trends and you need to start you know you need to manage what's in front of you and it, if it keeps getting worse at the rate that it's going we're never gonna have, we're not gonna have high school sports until there's until there's a vaccine really so um you know cif state you know for the fall sports they canceled their their regional and state championship events which you know it, it's a bit of a bummer obviously to not have you know state championships in fall specifically in football but 
on the bright side, as I talked about with Wygod, I mean, it gives more, you know, and his phrase was maximum flexibility for, for that schedule, you know, so it doesn't, those extra two weeks where you have to build your schedule backwards from that date where things have to be ready for state. Now the sections can be a lot more flexible with how they want to adjust their post seasons. We don't know if there's going to be one, how many teams are going to be included, how many divisions. Uh, I mean, everything continues to be up in the air, but you know, you keep the plans in place for as long as you can. And then when, when the rubber meets the road, it's, it's what the health order restrictions are and, and what you can get clearance for. But the, the biggest issue is we're not moving in the right direction by cases, hospitalization and, and deaths. And ultimately those things have to get better if we want to see competition at the high school level. I completely agree. And I also think, and I've got a column on this on the website right now, that another big issue is going to be quote unquote, real practice. You know what I mean? You can do right. as many push-ups and sit-ups as you want. You can run around the track as much as you want, but real practice needs to happen before an amateur athlete, especially somebody as young as maybe a freshman or a sophomore in high school is going to be asked to go out there and compete against another school. And I talked to a couple coaches about this issue because you have to be physically prepared to go into, uh, go into a season. And this season is going to be a marathon, but it's going to be run very quickly. So it's going to be a lot of activity in a short amount of time. And Wilson football coach Mark Ziggenhagen was very candid with me about his concerns about it because you talk about a football team and how much work they put in, right? I mean, you're talking about hitting, the ball, hitting in the spring, talking about hitting in the summer, hitting in the fall. You're doing the bags and stuff in the spring and obviously the seven-on-seven seven in the summer, but you're still working on tackling in the fall. That's months of preparation for a 10-week season. We're talking about weeks of preparation for a 10 plus week season now for these football teams. And, and that makes me very nervous, especially if you look at what's happening in the national football league and the fact that, uh, you know, elite athletes with all the stuff that they do to get their bodies ready for the season are having a tough time right now because of the illnesses, because of the injuries, because of the lack of a, of a, uh, a preseason. And I wanted to do a little quote from uh, coach Zig. He said, quote, I'm scared. Forget about the virus. I'm worried about the safety issue as far as being in football shape. That's not just lifting weights and running. A lot of things go into it, and I don't know a lot, if a lot of outsiders understand that. They want us out there playing, and I get it, but at what cost? And I think that's just a very simple way of looking at it. Like, what are, what are we doing? What are we putting at risk? I think that the reason why all of us want high school sports back right now is for mental health. We need it. The kids need it. The families need it. The communities need it. Absolutely. However, I don't see a huge difference between inter-squad scrimmages and games where there's no fans. There's no fans at either event. And the whole point of this thing is to get these kids back and active. I just don't want them to have to be at full speed when they're still trying to figure out how to move their body. Allow for more real practice time in order to get the kids active again, get them out, get them social, all the things that are important to mental health for sure. But then after the appropriate or however much time that you can get them ready physically and mentally before we're sending kids from city to city or having them travel in any way, shape or form, or even playing a school from down the street. That just to me seems like an unnecessary risk when the whole idea of getting kids back on the field or on the court is about getting them active again. And you can be active in a variety of ways that don't put you as much at risk. You know, my, I, you mentioned the word risk. And I think that's what 
everything about the restart is going to boil down to, especially when we talk about the period that we're about to enter where some people have begun being vaccinated, but it's not widespread yet. And that's where to me, these issues all dovetail is you need transparency in order for people to accurately assess the risk and make their own decision about their own child or their own life um, as far as that risk. And that's why, you know, you mentioned in there, um, some of these teams are going to have a real hard time. I mean, you know, some of these teams are going to have a real hard time, you know, in, in, in the sixth, seventh place spots in the more league, they're going to have a hard time fielding teams. They're going to have a hard time fielding lower levels. And the more transparency people have about, hey, we're going to play or, hey, we're not going to play, the more an informed decision people can make and the more people can decide what level of risk they're comfortable with, because what's happening right now instead, and we haven't really we haven't really gotten into this too much because it hasn't really touched Long Beach yet, knock on wood. Um, this club football thing that's going on right now that is totally renegade to the state public health orders, um, it's, in my opinion, and I'm not, I understand I'm not saying this about club volleyball, club soccer, to start something like club football this quickly against state public health directives is dangerous. But that is what is going to happen if we don't play. Like, that league will blow up and you are going to have something that would make the risks of playing under a high school system and under the guidance of the CIF um, look like an absolute day at the park. So I would just like to see more of the transparency that people need, that families need to make their uh, decisions. That's the way, that's the way I feel about it because I, I just don't think, Right now, anyone knows enough. Nobody knows enough to make a real decision at the moment, you know, and, and we missed our window to upgrade practices to full contact during October when cases were quiet, when, you know, we hadn't decided to open up everything except schools and youth sports. Um, that's now led to a situation where the people who never got a chance at resuming their life uh, are being put on hold once again. Right. And and it's it is so tough to say because there's no number to say, well, you know, because you lost out on this conventional buildup and practice time and time in the weight room, you are X percent more likely to suffer an injury or what a serious injury, whatever it may be. But that weight room time is important. And the time, you know, going through all the drills and conditioning, you know, it does need to be done safely. And we mentioned football just because it, it is the most violent sport and, and it does have you know, the, the highest potential for, you know, for, for having serious injury. I mean, we can be frank about that, but um, you know, it's in it, a regular it is, year in a regular right, year. already in yeah. a regular year. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it is important for families to be able to make those decisions for themselves. And we, we do expect, you know, to have student athletes decide to opt out as is totally their right and completely fine. Um, but we know that there's a, a ton of athletes that are also itching to play. Um, but we, in some cases you do need to protect people from themselves a little bit and make sure that they do have, the structure, the amount of time needed for the coaches to build them up safely so that when we ultimately do get back out there, it, you know, it, it resembles something that we've seen in years prior and it doesn't lead to a rash of injuries. And especially as we've talked about, we won't always have uh, the most resources there um, as far as athletic trainers go. I, yeah. And I want to reiterate that my column and the reason for me writing the column was more about, you know, the kids think about how many kids we cover every year. That's a lot. It's a lot of high school athletes, the vast majority of which are not scholarship athletes in the future. Mm. Most of them, right? So I'm more worried about the frosh soft kids 
in the 2021 season than I am about the varsity kids. The club kids are going to play club. They've played club before. They're going to continue to do so. But what about the other kids, the kids who are literally going to learn how to play the sport by being on the team in high school, like high school sports were meant to be. I talked about the scrimmages and stuff. Your whole team gets to play in a scrimmage. A lot of the time, your whole team doesn't get to play in a regular non-league game. So we're going to have to ask these kids to maybe travel to another city to sit on a bench to not even play. I just want as many people to have the opportunity to, like you said, Mike, get back out, be active, be regular, whatever the heck that means. I just want as many kids to be able to do that as possible. And I just think that the rushing back to games, again, where there's going to be no fans, it's not like one of these things is going to have your parents there and the other one's not. I just want more opportunity for kids to do it and do it safely. And I think that just an extended period of practice, I'll, I'll go cover practice. I'm not against it. I'll, I'll go video some scrimmages. That's fine with me. I just want to see people being safe while they're being active. And I think more practice before a condensed season, a marathon season, an abbreviated season, or even a playoff season for that matter is important. Talking about practice, man. We are talking about practice. I would gladly do it at this point, honestly. I mean, I would do it about laps too, but like we don't, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> we haven't reached the 12 month mark. If we get to 12 months, I will go cover people running laps. <laughs> that is a promise to you, Long Beach. You guys have anything else to say before we wrap this thing up? No, I'm not going to go run a lap though. Oh, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler, you should. At I least got stories to write, man. At least around your living room. Okay, that I can do. Uh, that was a huge show. Uh, we always love doing the big shows with the big issues. And you guys got to leave your big comments at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social media where we post this show. The reason why we have these conversations is so that you can join them. So thank you to everybody at the562.org and Long Beach Post who help get this show out each and every week covering everything Long Beach. We love you, Long Beach. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Hang tough. And we'll see you soon.